Welcome, church family. I'm so excited to have you here as we really, we talk about the mighty flood of God's love shown in the incarnation of his son, Jesus Christ. I want to invite you, we remain standing. Let me read for you our text, Matthew chapter one. If you were with us last week, we looked at the amazing genealogy of Jesus and how significant his lineage is. And now we actually get into the birth narrative. Matthew chapter one, verses 18 through 25. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they had came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's stop there. Please have a seat. You know, this is a great story. What a great time of year to remember the Christmas story, the story of Jesus and his coming to earth. As we remember the story, we're actually beginning a journey through the entirety of the book of Matthew over the next couple of years, and there's so much we're going to see as we walk through this book. It's going to be wonderful for us, but today I want to talk about this this moment in time 2,000 years ago and this unexpected pregnancy. Now, the, the world today is full of unexpected pregnancies. In fact, you might be aware of a wonderful ministry that exists here in Longview. It's called Premier Choice for Women. Uh, it used to be called the Caring Pregnancy Center, and it's a, it's a facility, it's a ministry for women who are experiencing an unexpected pregnancy. And really what happens is they have advocates that minister to the women, help them have everything they need to protect the life of that child, And really, they walk with a family for the first two years of that child's birth, providing so many of the the needs that they have. But this ministry, Premier Choice for Women, they have a a way that they reach out to people. You can sign up for their prayer requests through text messages. And I did this uh, a couple of months ago. And so this last week on Thursday at 11.53, almost noon, I received this text. Maybe some of you received the same text. It's up here on the screen. It says, Please pray for premier choice for women advocate whose client is considering abortion. You know, you you receive a text like that and you you kind of just put aside everything that you're doing and you you pray. And, and, you know, if you allow that moment to sink in, you, you, you realize that there is a woman who has an unexpected pregnancy, and she's meeting with someone at the the premier choice for women, and this woman has abortion on the table. Her her life has been completely changed. She's looking at a future that is uncertain. There is an unexpected situation in her life, and, and she's trying to figure out what to do. And in that moment on the table, because she lives in a state where it's legal, is taking the life of a a human before they're even born. 
What an incredible, incredible difficult situation. And so Premier Choice for Women, they send out this prayer request, and I guess hundreds of people are probably praying as they receive these text messages. And then almost an hour later, 1251, this is the text message that came through. Please join Premier Choice for Women and Advocate Tracy in joy for a mother who chose life. What an incredible moment. It's really special, right? What an incredible moment, though. Where this woman in that moment, I would argue, she did not only choose life, but in a sense, she chose God's way. There's, maybe it's tiny, maybe it's the size of a mustard seed, but there is this, this tiny bit of faith in the future that is keeping her from making a tragic decision, and instead she's making a decision in line with God's world, with God's word. This unexpected pregnancy in, in, in our world today, it, it reminds me of this unexpected pregnancy 2,000 years ago. Except this unexpected pregnancy 2,000 years ago, as we see in our story, was not two people having intimate relations in a way that they weren't thinking about the future. Rather, this is, this is the birth of Jesus the Savior. This is God's divine interaction in the life of Mary and in the life of Joseph. And, and the way God has interacted with them is ultimately leading to this incredible picture of who this child is. This child that is not just any child, this child who is the Christ, the Messiah. And so today, what I want us to see from this incredible story, very simply, is that Jesus' birth... Jesus' birth was the fulfillment of God's faithfulness. Jesus' birth in this moment when life was throwing unexpected situations at Joseph and Mary, I want us to see God showing his faithfulness even in the unexpected. I want us to see this in the life of Joseph and Mary, but ultimately, as I look around in this room, I want you to see this in your life. Because I imagine there are some of us here that have some unexpected situations going on. I imagine there's some in this room that are having a hard time seeing God's faithfulness. Maybe it's because of medical issues in your life. Maybe there are relational conflicts. Maybe life is not working out the way you thought it would. Maybe others have hurt you. And you're dealing with the aftermath and the pain. And you might be saying, God, I don't see how this is your faithfulness. Brothers or sisters, church family, I want us to see today that God is faithful even in the hard and even in the unexpected. And I want to do this in our text today. So if you have not opened up your Bible, will you open up your Bible with me to Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18? Here's our, here's our outline today. We're going to look at the way God showed his faithfulness in Mary's life. We're going to look at the way God showed his faithfulness in Joseph's life. And ultimately, we're going to look at how God was showing his faithfulness in the person of Jesus and who he is. And so let's dive in. First thing we're going to look at is Mary. And here's what we're going to see, that Mary's supernatural conception was God's faithful work. This, this incredible moment where Mary gets this notice that she's going to receive a child, and it's not by means of the flesh, but she's going to conceive supernaturally. I want us to see that this is actually God's faithful work. Matthew 1, verse 18. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. 
Now, this is all that Matthew gives us here about the, the conception of Jesus. We're going to see before too long that Matthew, he doesn't give an extended account because Matthew has a goal in mind. Matthew's goal in mind, as we talked about last week, is to show us how Jesus' life is a fulfillment of the Old Testament Scripture. That's where Matthew is going to go in short order. In fact, if you remember, Matthew has at least 55 direct quotations of the Old Testament and 255 allusions I mean, Matthew's gospel is just, it's just stuffed full of the Old Testament. And so that's where Matthew's going to go. And so he just simply tells us that Joseph and Mary, they're betrothed, but they have yet to come together. This is the idea that they're engaged, but this is a very serious engagement. In fact, in, in first century Jewish culture, this engagement might have even not been their choice as in like they, they have this beautiful love story where they fell in love with each other and just spent hours looking deeply into each other's eyes. This might have been arranged by their parents, which sometimes I think is still a good idea, but it's a different topic, right? <laughs> they are engaged, but they have not consummated it. They have not made their vows. And so because of that, they find that Mary is with child. And in the setting, it seems as if it's, a child that is because of unfaithfulness. Well, let's look at Mary's side of this story. I want us to see two aspects of Mary's life that really help us understand some of these dynamics, even in our world today. And to do that, I want to look at the third gospel. Matthew is the first gospel. Mark doesn't have birth narrative. But then the gospel of Luke, the third gospel, gives an extended account of the birth narrative especially this situation with Mary. And so turn with me, Luke chapter 1. Let me look with you at verses 26 through 33. And here's the first thing I want you to see about Mary. I want you to see that Mary had favor. Mary had favor, the favor of God. Let me show you. Verse 26, it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he, the angel, came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. If you were with us last week, you remember that Jesus is in the line of David who has been given a promise by God to have an everlasting kingdom. Jesus is the, the eternal Davidic king. And that's repeated here in this story. But, but look, at, look at this idea of being favored. When, when you hear that someone is favored, what, what does that make you think of? Is it like, you know, everything they touch turns to gold, everything in their life works out perfectly. Well, the word here, favored, if you were to look at the original language, it's the word that is often translated grace. Same word you have in Ephesians chapter 2 when it says, by grace you have been saved. 
I want you to see here that Mary doesn't have the angel appear to her, and the angel says, hey, good job, Mary. You finally worked hard enough that God loves you now. The angel doesn't come and say, hey, Mary, your works have reached a certain spot where now you're at a special level with God, and now he's going to use you in a really cool way. No, the angel comes and twice describes Mary having a relationship with God, not based on her own work, but based on the favor or the grace of God. You see, Mary's relationship with God was based upon God's grace And so is yours. Let's just remember that for a moment here. There is not one of us that comes before God and says, God, look at how good I've been. Now you're going to accept me. There's not one of us that God has gone gone to and says, wow, you have really oppressed me because you're so awesome, because you're so much better than your neighbor, because you don't swear as much as you used to, because you don't do all these bad things. Now I'm going to love you. No. Every one of us come to God only by his grace. The Bible's very clear about this. This is true of Mary, this is true of me, and this is true of you. But here's what I want us to see next is how Mary responds. Look at how she responds to the grace of God in her life. Because we see her response is that not only did Mary have favor, here's her response, Mary had faith. She responded with trust in God. She responded with belief in who God is and the word of God as expressed by this angel. Continue with me, verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is so instructive. Look at this incredible response. First of all, Mary asks a humble question. I don't think she's asking a question in doubt. I think she's really actually saying here, okay, angel, Gabriel, here's the deal. I've done the math. I am a virgin. I don't understand. How am I supposed to conceive when I am, when I am a virgin? This does not make sense. This is, this is a question that you and I often ask in our difficult situations. Lord, I know you're good. God, I know you're faithful. God, I know you're powerful. I know you love me, but life's working out in a way I, I don't understand. I don't get this. This doesn't make sense to me. This is Mary's response. She asks a humble, genuine question. And the angel responds by saying, listen, your cousin Elizabeth, who has been barren, she is already with child in her sixth month. And then the angel says this, verse 37, for nothing is impossible with God. 
You know, if I were to expand on this, here's what the angel is teaching. He's saying, Mary, listen very carefully. The God who by his word made the heavens and the earth, the God who made your very body, the God who formed Adam out of dust and Eve out of Adam, that God is the God that is telling you right now that the power of God will overshadow you and he will place an infant within your womb. Nothing. Nothing is impossible with God. This is what the angel teaches to Mary, but now we get to her response. I want you to see the faith that she has. Look at the next verse. Verse 38 says, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Incredible. I don't understand. This doesn't make sense. But I'm, I'm your servant, God. Whatever you say, let that happen in my life. I want your will. Look at this incredible response of Mary in faith to the unexpected life situations that she faced. But what about you? How are you responding to the unexpected situations in your life? Are you responding with the same kind of attitude where you say to God, God, I don't understand. God, this doesn't make sense. God, this is scary. God, this is bigger than me. God, I am really overwhelmed by this, but I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me as you have said. God, whatever you want, I'm willing to deal with it. I'm willing to experience it. I'm willing to go through even the trial that you'll send my way. What an incredible response. This response, really, though, it, it, it brings us back to how this is God's work. This is the first thing we see, that Mary's supernatural conception, this is God's faithful work in her life. This is not her and her awesome life and her, her great uh, moral character. This is God's faithful work in her life, and she responds in faith. But let's turn to Joseph. With Mary, we see God's faithful work in conception. But with Joseph, with Joseph, we see Joseph's special counsel is God's faithful way. Joseph, we're going to see that he receives special instructions from the Lord, which is God showing him how to navigate life based on God's own way. Look with me back at Matthew chapter 1, verse 19. And the husband of Joseph, or excuse me, and her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, in the same way we looked at Mary, in the same way we saw that Mary had favor, and that Mary had faith, well, I think Joseph's response here, Joseph's life can be instructed to us, especially in those unexpected situations that we're dealing with. Let me show you what I mean. First of all, Joseph had fairness. Joseph had a certain kind of character. Verse 19 said, And her husband Joseph, here it is, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. 
The idea of being a just man, this is someone who is fair. They're just. They're upright. They want to do the right thing. They're the kind of person that patterns their life, not perfectly, but patterns their life after what is right. And so Joseph's looking at the situation. This woman who I'm betrothed to has been unfaithful. This is his thinking. She's been unfaithful. He's a just man. He's, he's not going to marry her. She's betrayed him in his mind. And so he is going to, he's going to separate from her. Now, the Old Testament Jewish law said a woman who was unfaithful to her husband, she would be executed. At this point in history, Israel is now ruled by the Romans, and they have basically outlawed the Jewish people from executing on their own terms. It would have to go through the Romans. And so this is not a practice of execution, but there would be the approval and the practice of divorce. And Joseph has two roads he can take. He can divorce her in the most public way possible, shaming her, rubbing her nose in it, making sure that the entire community that surrounds him knows how wicked and evil of a woman she is. Think of the names that he could have publicly called her. Think of the torment that he could have brought into her life. But he walked down a different path. And the text says the reason why is because he's a just man. Because being a just man doesn't mean you just do the right thing. Being a just man shows the heart of mercy. You know, twice as we go through the book of Matthew, we're going to see that Jesus quotes Hosea 6.6, 6, where, where God says, he says, don't you know that I desire not sacrifice, but mercy? See, Joseph, he, he, uh, he's not a perfect man, but he's reflecting the character of God in this moment when he could ruin her, but instead he decides to show her mercy. Joseph is a just man. I mean, think about this incredible moment that he faces in this fair response. And then, not only that, but you have the angel come to him and, a, and appear to him and give him these instructions. And jo Joseph, in his fairness, and he, he responds in, in a, according to obedience. Verse 24 says, When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called him Jesus. See, Joseph didn't just have fairness. Joseph also had faith. Joseph was willing to act based upon what God had spoken. He's signing up for all the cruel things and even all the, the cruel things that people will think and maybe even the things that they'll say. People are going to assume the worst. And Joseph's signing up to carry that load. This means Joseph's response really is of courageous obedience. Joseph responds in faith. He does what God calls him to do regardless of what anyone around him says or thinks. Now, let me, let me take that to you and put that in your life because I think God does the same exact thing with us. We have a God who calls you to do things that don't always make sense to those around you. How, how do you see this playing out in your life? Well, guess what? You're called to live a moral standard that's different than the world's. You're called to live in purity and holiness. The world around you will say all these things are permissible and all these actions are good and okay and even, even beneficial, but you, if you are a follower of Christ, you are called to live with a very different moral standard. And sometimes people will mock you for that. 
Especially if you're young, they'll look down on you for that. They'll say, look at you're missing all the fun. You're looking all missing all the all the good stuff that you could be doing in this life. You're called to that. What else does this look like? Well, I think this looks like moments where you share your faith with someone. When you share the gospel with someone, you don't know how they're going to respond. When, when you ask them, can I tell you who Jesus is and what he's done? Can I tell you how you can be saved? There are going to be moments where people will respond poorly. They will think you're a lunatic. They will think you're a fanatic. They'll think you're a crazy person because you have trusted in Jesus as the only way to be saved. And it's hard. And it's a call to courageous obedience to the instruction of God, regardless of what others think. This is the kind of faith that Joseph had. This is the kind of faith that you and I are called to grow into, regardless of what others say. This is what we are called to. Now, I'm two minutes ahead of schedule in my sermon. Which means I, I have a thought here that I want to share that I wasn't sure I'd have time for. I, I was able to share the last two services, but this is usually the one that goes long. So, but let me, let me apply this text to some of us in our lives right now. Let me apply some principles from this text specifically to those who are young and or unmarried. Let, let me help parents think about how you help your your teens or your children think about the opposite gender as they grow. Let me help grandparents help you give the right kind of advice to the next generation as, as they get to the age where they th start thinking about romance and dating and even marriage. Because I think this text gives us a, a picture, an example of some very important choices that are before some of the young people and the singles in this room. Let me speak, first of all, to the ladies. Ladies, I think this text shows us how important it is for you to marry a man with integrity like Joseph. Let me show you what I mean. Joseph had faith. He trusted God. Joseph had courageous obedience. He was doing, willing to do the right thing even when it's hard. This means that Joseph was the kind of guy that when unexpected difficulties came, he responded well. I'm going to tell you guys, there are going to be moments in your life when unexpected difficulties arise. And ladies, if you marry a man who does not have courageous obedience, in those moments when unexpected things happen, you're going to be left on shaky ground. You're going to be left wondering how your husband is going to navigate the situations before you, and it will be scary. But if you marry a man who, like Joseph, has faith and courageous obedience, not perfect, but he is striving to do what God does, in those moments, you will find yourself with far less anxiety, far less fear, far less worry, and far more security. This is true. This is important. Now, let me speak to the men. Likewise, men, this reminds us of how important it is for you to marry a woman who has faith like Mary. Uh, the kind of woman who is willing to say, I am the Lord's servant. God, whatever you want with my life, here it is. It's yours. I'm not going to hold it back. Here's why. Because men, if you are actually following God, God is going to call you to do hard things. He's going to call you to step out in faith and to risk and to sacrifice. And in that, if your wife is not willing to lay her life before the Lord, then she will resist that. I believe some young men in this church are being called into ministry. 
And if your wife is not willing to lay her life on the table, it's going to make pastoral ministry harder. I would not be surprised if over the next 10 years, there are going to be young people that come out of this church that will be called to the mission field. That they will have a burden on their heart for the lost at the ends of the earth who have never heard the gospel, who have never trusted in Jesus. And young men, if you want to go be part of God's incredible work at the ends of the earth, but you've married someone who says, I can't move away from my family. I can't move away from my comfort. I can't move away from my wealth and pleasure. You're going to find yourself stuck, unfulfilled, and unused by the Lord. Now, I know this is not what this text is about, but listen, this text illustrates how important it is to choose wisely who you marry. How important it is to choose wisely how you live as someone who is preparing for marriage. And parents, these are the kind of lessons for you to teach your children. And grandparents, these are the kind of lessons for you to teach your grandchildren, not just once in a while, but over and over again. Most of us understand that the most important decision we ever make is whether or not we trust Christ, but the second most important decision is who we join with in marriage. Now let me go back to our text. I'm still two minutes ahead. Not only do we see God's faithful work in Mary's life, in this miraculous conception, which is, which is his will, not only do we see God's faithful work in Joseph's life, in this, in this way that God is helping Joseph navigate and understand how to live according to God's word in this unexpected moment, but all of this actually is meant to point to Jesus' life. Because Joseph and Mary, they're actually the supporting characters. And Jesus is the main character of all of Scripture. So here's what we see next. We see that Jesus' Savior calling, this was God's faithful will. Jesus' Savior calling, this is God's will being faithfully worked out before our eyes as we read this text. Verses 21 through 23. She, Mary, the angel still speaking to Joseph, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is great. This is, I mean, there's so much in this text. This could be three sermons of itself. But let's start with the name that Jesus is given because Jesus' name shows God's faithful plan of salvation. In the, in the dream, the angel tells Joseph what to name this baby to be born. And he says, you shall name him Jesus. You shall call his name Jesus. Now, the name Jesus, it's the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua or Yeshua. And the Hebrew name Yeshua means Yahweh saves. So this is the angel theologically just loading the name of this one who's to be born so that every time anyone, including us today, say the name of Jesus, you know what you're proclaiming? You're proclaiming Yahweh saves. Salvation is found in the one true God. And so Jesus' name shows this faithful plan of salvation. This is amazing. The question, though, is how does Yahweh save? How does this one true God save? Well, look, we're in the first gospel. 
We skipped over Mark, the second gospel. We looked at the third gospel, Luke, but let's go to the fourth gospel. Let's go to the gospel of John and his birth narrative, and it's unlike any of the others. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, the Gospel of John begins, and it says, in the beginning, it gets us thinking about Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In this text, it shows us that there was this this entity, and this entity is called halagos. It's called the Word. And it teaches us a few things about the Word. It says that, first of all, the Word was with God distinct from God, and then it says the word was God, united to God. And then it ultimately teaches this word is the force of creation. This teaches us that the word is divine and distinct. Now, we might look at this and be like, I don't get it, but as you read the rest of the scripture, you begin to understand this is talking about the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, the Word, and God the Holy Spirit. It says that in the beginning, God, the, the Word was with God the Father. Now scroll down to verse 14 of John chapter 1. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Here's what John does. He says, this divine entity who is one with the Father, who is uniquely distinct and yet equal, this word, it becomes flesh. He takes on flesh. This is talking about the same moment that Matthew and Luke talk about. This is the incarnation where Jesus becomes human, born of a virgin, born of the flesh. He says, we've seen his glory. He says, when we saw Jesus, we saw that he was full of grace and truth. When we saw Jesus, we saw that he's the only begotten son of the Father. This is him recognizing that we saw Jesus who is truly God and truly man. Now back to my question, how does Jesus, Yeshua, how does he take away the sins of the world? John chapter 1 verse 29. You have John the Baptist who is the forerunner of Jesus, who prepares the way for Jesus. He sees Jesus coming near him, and what does he cry out? John chapter 129, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. How does Jesus take away the sins of the world? He tells us in the title, Lamb of God, See, Jesus doesn't cleanse you of your sins because he has a super powerful Mr. Mr. Clean eraser marker that he comes and he scrubs your soul out. Jesus doesn't have a special wand that he waves over you and some magic glittery dust falls on you and you're saved. How does Jesus save you? He saves you because he is the Lamb of God. For the Jewish person, they understood what the Lamb was. The Lamb was a sacrificial offering. It was, life was taken from it, its blood was shed, it, it died, and it died as a, as a substitute, as a placeholder, and it died for your sin. Well, this says that Jesus isn't some, you know, regular old lamb, Jesus is the lamb of God, and by his death, burial, 
resurrection, everyone who believes in him, in who he is, Jesus, Yeshua, Yahweh saves, who believes in what he's done as the Lamb of God, is saved. This is, this is what the angel announces. This is what the angel announces to, to Joseph, and this is what remains true for us today. There's only one Lamb of God, and his name is Jesus. And by trusting in him, by having faith, your sins are cleansed. So we see right out of the gate, Jesus' name, it shows us God's faithful plan of salvation. But let's keep going. Because the next thing we see is that Jesus' birth is God's faithful prophecy fulfilled. Look at verse 22. It says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, this is the first of what's called a fulfillment quotation in the book of Matthew. Ten times in Matthew's gospel, Matthew brings commentary to the narrative, to the story of Jesus' life. Ten times he brings commentary that he reaches into the Old Testament and he brings it and it actually has a formula. And the formula is written right here. It says, this took place to fulfill. Two times, the very first two times, he says, this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophets. And then after that, he just uses the prophets. But listen, these 10 quotations, they stand out as unique compared to all the other Gospels. This is really the, Matthew's whole purpose. These 10 quotations, they serve as this, this flashing neon sign, this arrow saying, Jesus is the one the Old Testament points to. So let's look at this very first one. Verse 23, Matthew is actually quoting Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, and... Chapter 8, verses 10 or 8 and 10. Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7, it's actually a prophecy given to King Ahaz. If you know the story, God came and offered Ahaz a sign, and Ahaz is like, I don't want a sign, and, and God's like, well, here's, you're going to get a sign. And the sign is that there's going to be a, a child born. In the context of Isaiah 7, it's actually talking about Isaiah, his wife, having a child. In fact, this text is written 700 years before Jesus is born. The original writer probably had no thought in his mind about a Messiah coming who was going to be Jesus 700 plus years later. But here's what Matthew does. Matthew picks up on this language and he says, look, this language in the Old Testament, it actually serves the purpose of highlighting the uniqueness of Jesus. This is actually what we're going to see over and over again over the next few months and probably a couple of years as we travel through the book of Matthew. See, Jesus here, we're going to see Jesus is the better child born than Isaiah 7. Jesus is, we're going to see the better Moses. Jesus is the better son of God than Israel. Over and over again, we're going to see all of these Old Testament stories find their complete picture in Jesus. That's exactly what you have here. You have Jesus' birth. It's the faithful prophecy fulfilled. But let me end with this last clause of verse 23. The final thing I want us to see is that Jesus' identity 
is God's faithful presence. He's given the name Jesus, Yeshua, our, uh, Yahweh saves, but then says, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This, is, this last part of the verse actually quotes the next chapter in Isaiah, Isaiah 8, verses 8 and verses 10, verse 8 and 10. This, this, this name, Emmanuel, I would argue this, this is actually the entire summary of all of Scripture. God with us. You, you realize this is God's design from the very beginning. I mean, think about creation. Think about all the way back, Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. What does God do? God makes Adam and Eve, and he has a relationship with them. And then we see in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve, they rebel. They do not trust God. They, they disobey what God's word has said. But look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. It says, after they had sinned, it says, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now just, just get a, a picture here. God was taking a stroll in the cool of the day to go and be with Adam and Eve. Relationship. Presence. Connection. This, this, is, this is the whole point. God made us so that we could know him. So we can experience his glory and his goodness, his strength and his power and his faithfulness. This is the entire point. God made us so that we would know him. But we in our sin and our rebellion, just like Adam and Eve, we have rebelled. We have severed that relationship. And look what they do. They hide themselves from his presence. We miss out on his presence. But Jesus will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Take your Bible up to the other end. Not Genesis 3, but Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21, speaking of the new heavens and the new earth, the final eternal state. Revelation 1, or 21 verses 3 and 4. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He, God, will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. You realize this is God's ultimate intention with you and with me? That he will be our God dwelling with us and us with him. You realize this ultimate promise? It says that in that moment, death will be no more. Listen, some of us in this room, we're dealing with the prospect of death. Whether it's in our own life or in the life of someone we know, there is sickness, there is, there's all sorts of sorrow that accompany it. It says, death will be no more. It says, neither shall there be mourning. Some of us in this room, maybe we're in a season of mourning where there are things that are very sorrowful for our heart that weigh heavy upon us. It says, there will be no more mourning or crying, no more pain. 
I don't know about you, but sometimes it feels like life is just one season of pain after another. (laughs) But when we are dwelling in God's presence, that pain will be removed completely. The former things will have passed away. Listen, this is the truth conveyed in the name Emmanuel. This was fulfilled in Jesus' incarnation. It's continued in the Spirit of God as the Spirit dwells in every believer. And it's going to be ultimately consummated in the eternal state where there is no more pain and no more mourning and no more tears and no more death. Why? Because of Jesus, Yeshua, Yahweh saves. That's where this story draws our eyes. That's where this story draws our heart. So, so let me ask you, where are the places in your life where you are having a hard time seeing God's faithfulness? Maybe you're like Mary. You're like, God, I, I don't get it. This wasn't the plan. This wasn't the expectation. This is something harder than what I expected. This is something more difficult than anything I signed up for. God, I, I do not get this. I'm having a hard time seeing your faithfulness. Where are the places in your mind where the struggles of life fulfill or fill your perspective more than the Savior and his faithfulness? See, I, I think this is an appropriate moment to just go before the Lord right now. Go to him with those places in your life where it's hard to see his faithfulness. Go to him with those places in your life where the struggle is bigger than the Savior and humbly ask him to help you. I want to give you a moment to to express like Mary before God the Father, say, God, I am your servant. Whatever you want with my life, I'll do it. I want to give you a moment for you to go and be like Joseph, where you say, God, I'm going to do whatever you say. I'm going to have courageous obedience. I want you to do this by having you turn your attention toward Jesus. Yeshua. Yahweh saves. Emmanuel, God with us. Take this moment right now. We close your eyes and just take those to the Lord. It's with this reflective heart that I'd like to move us toward considering Jesus by sharing in the Lord's table. Communion is a very important moment for a believer. The the Bible actually says that in this moment, we proclaim Jesus' death until he comes back again. In just a moment, I'm going to open the communion table and invite everyone who has trusted in Jesus to come forward and collect the bread and cup and then take them back with you to your seat. But let me remind you of a few things. First of all, let me, let me just remind you this is for those who have trusted in Jesus. If you're here and you have not done that, we're glad you're here. You're more than welcome. But I would ask that you do not share in the Lord's table because this is, this is not, it's not your proclamation. This is our way of saying that I believe in Jesus and his death and resurrection. If you don't believe that, this is not a moment for you to participate, but rather to consider 
what you've just heard about Jesus. Uh, most weeks we remind you of the second part, though. This is not for perfect Christians. This is for repentant Christians. So if you're here today and you have trusted in Jesus, but you have been maybe having a, a sinful attitude or maybe even sinful actions, that doesn't prevent you from coming to the moment of communion. What it does is it leads you to a moment of repentance. And, and I'm, I'm talking about genuine repentance. Don't just say, God, I'm sorry, and then come and do this with the intent of continuing in your rebelliousness. Let this be a moment of genuine repentance where you share in the communion table remembering what it signifies. All of your sin has been forgiven. All of it has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, after everyone comes forward and takes the, the bread and the cup and takes it back to their seat, I will come back up and we will remember Jesus together as a church family. That said, brothers and sisters in Christ, the tables are open front as well as back. You may come forward and collect the elements. I want to pray and before I do, I want to remember the words the angel spoke to Joseph and what it reminds us about Jesus. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Heavenly Father, we humbly and gratefully come before you in this moment, thanking you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that you have sent him to be the one who saves us, to be the Lamb of God who sacrificed himself in our place, who bled and died in our place so that we can be forgiven and then he was resurrected so that we now can walk in newness of life. And Father, I pray that that incredible truth would fill our hearts and minds. Father, as we reflect on this great gift, your grace, your favor toward us. Father, help us to respond like Mary. Help us to respond with faith. Lord, let us have, especially in the unexpected moments of our life when things are difficult, let us have the attitude that says, Lord, I am your servant. You can do whatever you want to with my life. Lord, let us be like Joseph, who had a courageous obedience who did what you said, even when others would have said it would not make sense. Lord, help us to do this in a way that reflects our dependence upon Jesus. And thank you that we can depend on Jesus right now by your spirit that dwells in us. We know that God is with us. And so we thank you in this moment for all that you have done, for your faithfulness in countless ways. And we pray this with humble, grateful hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Our Lord took the bread on the night that he was betrayed. He broke it, prayed, and he said, This is my body broken for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. The the blood that washes away our sins. He says, do this in remembrance of me.